Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST-accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2023. And we're here with Rob and Ian McCormick from... Um, where are you in New Zealand? I'm in Auckland. In Auckland. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. And What's this the schemata, Ian? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to What's the Schemata, the first episode for 2023. Uh, this is our quasi-monthly uh, chat about all things schema therapy. Rob, did you have a nice break? I did. I did. It's, I'm still semi in a break. Uh, yeah. So just coming out of that to, uh, to to do the podcast. But, yeah, how about you guys? You guys are back into it? Uh, yeah, I'm just winding in slowly. So this is my wind-in week, and next week I kind of start for, for real. Yep. I think I wore a Hawaiian shirt for the first last week. For the first <laughs> week to work. So I still felt semi um, on holidays. But so, so for those that are in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, it's uh, very much summer here. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's a little bit different. Uh, but given that uh, we're all in the Southern Hemisphere, we're, we're enjoying some time off and our, our summer holidays. But I guess today's episode is really about talking with Ian about um, schema therapy within a, uh, the context of executive coaching. And maybe, Ian, before we get start, maybe we could talk to you a bit about, you know, your background, uh, how did you get into schema therapy and you, the use of ex- executive coaching, but also... What, what is executive coaching? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we want to make the parameters kind of pretty clear from the start. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. So, uh, so I originally trained as a, as a clinical psychologist. So I did master's and diploma in clinical psych, which was uh, the, the kind of standard. And that was many years ago. Uh, and I worked in um, the prison setting for, for some years. And then I was invited to be a field psychologist on a long overland traverse of Antarctica, so my PhD is in work stress in extreme environments, which wow. was kind of fun. <laughs> so did did you get out to Antarctica? Or I it- did, 70-day traverse right yeah. into the centre of wow. uh, Antarctica, up into the plateau, which is just the most extraordinary experience because you've got all the wonderful wildlife around the, the edge of the continent, and then you get up into the plateau and you've got these catabatic winds Uh, that blow all of the time, and it's almost like uh, being in a bubble. So there is no horizon. Uh, There is only white in this huge dome that seems to uh, engulf you. So it's a very strange experience. Uh, And our expedition was designed to be halfway between Scotland and Munston and modern day. So we travelled in open vehicles. We lived in tents. We lived off army food, et cetera. So it was deliberately quite stressful, but absolutely challenging and fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. So really, can, so, yeah. So you can see the link between sort of getting into from um, you know sort of a, a more of a clinical setting to sort yeah. of an organisational setting, and yeah. and and did did the executive coaching flow from that? So yeah, so what happened was I went into human resource management initially for a small accounting firm, and they merged with Deloitte at one point. And then I became a partner in Deloitte, and I ran a big management consulting practice for some years. And then I got a bit bored and I moved to Hong Kong and uh, built a firm and uh, we sold the firm to a US multinational in Hong Kong. And then I came back with the idea that I didn't really want to 
be a CEO anymore. I really mm. just wanted to be an executive coach. And I uh, did that for a number of years. And what I found was that the longer I was in practice, the more and more challenging clients I got. And I got one particular client who was really suffering from um, a form of perfectionism. And um, I really felt stuck with her. And I started reading uh, and I read um, Young's uh, Schema Therapy and really connected with that. And I started working with this woman and then I found Rob's course and I went on that and that was a fantastic uh, revelation. And then I found a, um, a schema supervisor. Uh, then I did um, your course, Chris, on um, imagery rescripting. Uh, and then Rob and I have connected um, over the last six months or so. So that's really my journey. Um, last year, I wrote a chapter for a book on, um, so the book's called um, Third Wave Cognitive Behaviour Coaching. And I wrote a, uh, a piece on schema coaching. So yeah. just to clarify, so the, the work that you're doing and the, the, the base of the context is uh, the use of schema therapy for high, sort of high performance. What, what, what would your average, um, what, would you, what do you call them? Cl clients. clients? Yeah. Yep. So what would right. your average clients be? So most of them are senior executives. So I work with a lot of uh, CEOs and first tier uh, people, a lot of um, partners and professional service firms, so architects, accountants, um, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really the bulk of my clients. Right. It sounds like, um, Ian, like in clinical settings, you you'd, now I mean, imagine you had a standard way of practising your coaching in your coaching uh, context up until lately, up, and, up yes. until you got into schema. What, yes. what was that sort of standard way of approaching it? Uh, so I really like something called solution-focused coaching, which comes out of solution-focused therapy. So you, I'm sure you know it, but that idea that uh, you develop a relationship with a client and then you get to ask them, well, if this problem went away, what would your life look like? So it's forward-focused, it's solution-focused. Uh, I did lots and lots of that sort of work, but that has real limits when someone is really stuck. And would you say that you 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 were also providing like cognitive and behavioural strategies within within that uh, focus? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Although interestingly enough, I obviously I learned cognitive behaviour therapy a long time ago. I've never really considered myself a very good cognitive behaviour therapist. The idea of starting with the idea, but the idea of starting with the the fundamental notion that uh, the client's thinking is wrong. Uh, wow. Or it's flawed. Never kind of. Uh, it never gelled with me. Never sat well with you. One of the things I really like about schema, of course, is you give people these ideas of is this relevant? Is this relevant? Is this relevant? And they kind of pick it for themselves. So that seems to me one of the things I really love about about schema. So it seems like you ended up in a place um, similar to to those in clinical settings, like Jeff Young where you were practicing like as usual and then there was this kind of block there was a group of people that, that, that just you just couldn't get that uh, little bit of extra change you couldn't break through yes uh, and then at, during that time you, you ran into schema yes uh, and then there was a bit of a shift there was a bit of a change in things is that yes. fair to say absolutely correct yeah. absolutely correct yeah and it seems that um like i've had a few chats with you now you've you've um you've definitely got the schema bug <laughs> uh, so to speak, right? Yep. Uh, in in all of that, and started applying 
this to your practice. You know, I ran into when I sort of realized because um, I remember you, Ian, from a few years ago having done our live courses. Yes. Um, actually, I didn't remember you so well, but I did remember I had to go back when I saw that you'd done the um, last year, you'd done the coaching chapter. And I was really chuffed about uh, seeing that and then realizing that you were someone who'd uh, been doing the courses in the past. Yes. Uh, so, you, you know, you'd obviously done some of that work. Uh, found it useful, and then gone back um, into your context and and continued to innovate yes. uh, in the coaching. So I was, I was so happy to see the chapter. Thank you. Um, for those that haven't seen the chapter, we'll we'll provide some some details in the in the podcast notes. And actually, um, Ian, you've been kind enough to provide uh, a few PDFs yes. based on the chapter if yes. for those that can't access the chapter. So we'll provide that also. <clears throat> So, um, but but we've been talking about it, you know, because the coaching context often has folks that are very high functioning, and that you wouldn't necessarily think of as the pointy end, yes, right, of mental health. Yes, and it's always bothered me that that to a degree that there's this idea that schema therapy is only for personality disorders. Yes, yes, uh, because I've always come, you know, I've always really felt that schema therapy is for personalities. Yes. Yes. Right. Meaning it's applicable. It's applicable to just about anyone, you know, to the degree that modes and schema based patterns showing up and linked to problems, you know. Yes. So when I saw your chapter, that really, uh, really fit the bill for me. And, and it was the first time we had something uh, a bit more formal, a, a really nicely written chapter with some case stuff and some examples um, of how this can be applied to everyday folks that struggle in, in the work context or with problems that aren't necessarily on the pointy end. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for writing that. That's awesome. Sure. You've done it. You've done sure. a really um, uh, a great, great deal of work uh, for the community. And, and I hope that that, that will sort of um, boost up others and, and um, uh, motivate others to contribute and to continue that. Yeah. Would it be interesting, Rob, if I just talked about the difference between schema therapy and schema coaching? Is that kind of relevant at this point? Yeah, totally, totally. So that's, I guess, where we're going, yeah. So I think the, the thing is that um, schema therapy is essentially a partnership between a therapist and a client. Uh, uh, coaching is a three-way partnership. So you've got the organisation, you've got the client, and you've got the coach. And that makes a fundamental difference to how you do assessment and how you do treatment, et cetera, et cetera. So in coaching, for example, we would often involve the boss, for example. So if someone comes to us with a particular issue, they're often referred by HR or the boss. We might go back to the boss or HR and ask about what's going on, get that bigger context uh, around the situation, obviously with the person's permission, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the context is far more important in coaching. And so that impacts on assessment. So we would get that broader contextual piece uh, in the assessment phase. And it is very relevant in confidentiality as well. So in schema therapy, everything is confidential. In schema coaching, I often say, um, with your permission, am I allowed to go back and talk to your boss about A, B, C, and D? And 99.999% of people are very happy about that. And then in the treatment phase, you may even involve the boss 
or some peers or, um, you know, again, entirely with the client's permission in actually supporting and helping them through things. So very significant difference between therapy and coaching. And so you see from my background that um, coaching is often a mixture of clinical skills but senior business experience. And it's kind of bringing those two things together so that um, you form uh, an ability to work with people and understand their business context, but to use clinical tools. So we're also talking a difference between life coaching versus executive coaching. Yes. You want to make a comment on that as well, just to, for our listeners yeah, to yeah. clarify? So life coaching is typically, um, is often... Um, uh, engaged with by so the, the coaches themselves are often um, trained um, in a so they're often not university trained. Um, uh, executive coaches typically are. Life coaches are really about helping people to form goals and to support them to reach those goals. Executive coaching is much broader, really dealing with a whole range of organizational and personal issues. I was just thinking when, with what you said before about, um, you know, using um, the model within a work setting. It, do you have any sort of difficulties in terms of delineating between the clinical work and spilling over into work? And is there any way that you find um, yourself kind of keeping these two, two things separate or do you see it that way? Or uh, So I think the, the issue of confidentiality is really the, the way in which I separate those two things. So if you have this agreement that you don't mind me talking to your boss or to HR about the number of sessions, the sort of issues we're working on, et cetera, et cetera, but that everything that relates to you personally is completely confidential. I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. And in fact, I might have worked in your organization for some years and coached a number of people, and I might want to say things that are confidential, but I don't want you to tell anybody else in your organization. So that's really how I delineate things. Yeah. It's about being explicit um, about exactly. the context. Yeah. yeah. And the getting treatment. permission and that kind of thing. Yeah. And the treating, the presenting problems would be different, I guess. You know, be censoring center, around work-related, you know, contexts and issues. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can we yes. talk about that, Ian? Can we talk yeah, about sure. maybe um, the, the sort of, let's say, the top five mm. problems you might be focused yeah. on in, in that context? Yeah, so maybe it's worth just um, talking about that in the context of, of, of schema. Uh, so what you find at work is that the, the schema model is extremely useful where the coping mechanisms model and the modes model is much less useful. And the modes model in particular is less useful because these are not people who flip between mood states. These are typically stable people. So schema is, uh, is so the, the original conceptualization of Young is actually remarkably useful for, uh, for, for schema coaching. And if I just run you through two or three kind of problems, so if we take the abandonment schema, a uh, typical issue might be um, the person works very hard, uh, very experienced, is asked to apply for a senior role and then doesn't get the senior role and someone from outside comes in. They naturally feel disappointed, but their disappointment turns poison to the extent that they want to give up their, uh, you know, their whole career 
uh, because this has triggered something very deep. So that's a not an uncommon kind of. Yeah. Um, so it's a, almost a form of decompensation. Exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yes. Since uh, so uh, they're sort of almost it? flipping from a um, maybe they had a very functional coping mode uh, that they used in the workplace, something maybe more overcompensatory. Yes. Uh, and uh, having you know that overcompensation having not worked. They, they're flipping into something more avoidant or detached or something. Yeah, it, yeah. well, that's very interesting because I wouldn't naturally have thought about it in a mode sense, but, yeah, I entirely We can't help it, Ian. We can't help it here at What's This Matter. Yeah, so exactly. So that's, uh, that, that's one thing. We also see a lot of the pessimism schema. So this is uh, despite the fact that I'm now the CFO, I feel like at any moment someone's going to um, someone's going to find me out, and they're going to realise that da 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 da. So you know that 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 kind of thing is um, is is very very common. A few other things we see that enmeshment and underdeveloped self. So I've been working with a CEO who went to a Harvard Business School program for a week and came back with the conclusion: I am my work, and I hate it. Uh-huh. So this kind of, you know, there was almost nothing left in his life. It had, it had just taken him over. Yeah. Um, we Another uh, favourite one is you see self-sacrifice. So I worked uh-huh. with, a, uh, with, a, with a lawyer who had um, been working for a very difficult and dysfunctional client for some years, won a great dispute with them, thought he'd done a brilliant job, and then the client sued him. Oh, right. Thanks yeah, for that. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, so these are yeah. some of the issues. So self-sacrifice, uh, you mentioned unrelenting standards. Uh, yeah, so unrelenting, yeah, that's, that's, that's really the classic one, uh, Rob. So yeah. what you find is that people get to the stage where uh, their, their high standards are frustrating their team, they're frustrating yeah. the customer, they're frustrating their leader, and the tipping point is often when all of that happens and then they realise they are perpetuating the unrelenting standards on their family. Oh, right. And so that's probably the, the most common thing I see. So that's crossing over into the family. Do, do you get much um, in the way of like, in thinking about those themes, uh, the sort of typical narcissism, you know, narcissistic CEO, narcissistic yeah. executive, to what degree do those things spill over into your work? Yeah, so um, thinking about grandiosity too, almost zero uh, mm. because those people don't need coaching. <laughs> okay, say more. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you I mean they're, they're, the one, they're the ones running the place. Or, or, or narcissism. You know, those people are, are deeply, deeply self-absorbed and have very little insight and very little desire to change. So the idea of um, initiating some kind of coaching is completely foreign to them. So those people would have to have some sort of crisis. They'd have to be fired or they'd have to be demoted or Yeah, this is what we see in clinical settings too. So so what you're saying is they're too good for coaching, so to speak. They're they're not the type to seek out coaching per se. Exactly. They may try to coach you, Ian. Yeah. Well, what do you do see? It's a very interesting question, Rob. What you do see, of course, is that the kind of the victims of these people come to coaching. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Again, so, there's a parallels see, with therapy. Yeah. 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 And do you see and a, many um, sort of themes in terms of the types of industries? Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. In terms of so, profiles? 
Yeah, a big slice of my work is with professional service firms. So accountants, lawyers, um, doctors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you can really see why that is. If we take a a typical law practice, a big law firm, those are very competitive environments where people are assessed and the assessment is kind of semi-public. So everybody Mm -hmm. knows what Mm -hmm. percentage of the profit you took home last year. They Mm -hmm. probably know exactly how much you... Uh, They're very conscious about, you know, they all drive into the same car park so they know whether you're driving a Maserati or a a Jaguar, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So very competitive environments put a huge amount of pressure on people. And uh, so that's where we see a lot of the unrelenting standards, but also the abandonment and enmeshment and needing approval. A lot of those things you see in... Um, not only, you know, I do work with um, corporates as well, and they've got their own share of, of challenges, um, particularly the ones that are more competitive. I was chatting to you offline. You, you were mentioning, I think you've got this big scope with like architects or something. If, yes, you know, yes, um, yes. Which is interesting. You've got these little niches that uh, you've built up over the years. Yes. Well, the thing that you find, um, which is something I'd really like to write about someday, is um, you could have a uh, a version of schema coaching for lawyers as distinct from architects because mm-hmm. they face different sorts of problems. Um, so we just take um, those two examples. Lawyers basically work in little triangles. So they've got two or three people who work for them, but they run this kind of little pyramids uh, where architects very often work in these fluid teams where they draw people in and they've got big projects that need to be managed over time, except So they have totally different kind of, they bring different issues to, to coaching. So, so it sounds, you know, it sounds like um, the, the, the deep knowledge that you get from working within an industry with multiple people, this becomes a really specialised knowledge that yes. you can contextualise with the schema. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, although it's quite interesting that um, one of the big law firms that I was asked to go and talk to the senior partners about working for them, the first question I was asked is, what other law firms are you working for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can't have too many in the same uh, in the same area because they they are paranoid and, about and they don't like it. Leak. Yeah. Ah, right. Well, that's interesting too, because then you mentioned paranoia, then now mind goes to modes as well. So there yes. could be modes at a, at a sort of organisational level. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the interesting thing about professional service firms is if you really want to understand them, you have to understand their remuneration system. So, for example, there's a vast difference in the culture of a firm that is probably smaller and shares profit equally despite the fact that people never contribute equally through to a big firm that's got a really complex remuneration system that looks at, uh, you know, not only your billings, but the performance of your staff and how many new clients you got and how much time you spent on the board of the firm or da 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 So fascinating the how the remuneration system drives so many other things. And this is something that we, you know, the general mental health setting would never ask. No. I mean, I think this is something that's completely off the radar. You're not, yeah. uh, I mean, it's almost like a taboo thing to sort of have a client and then sort of like explore their, their, how they're getting The remuneration paid. model of your yeah. work. 
So it's, but it's fascinating to think that that would, you know, obviously makes a lot of sense. Well, it's almost like the family system, right? Yeah, yeah. Our work, we go, well, what's going on at home? What's, how does it all work? Exactly. Mm. Family therapy is probably the the closest psychotherapy to coaching in that sense of, uh, you know, the, the broader context is critical. Well, I was, going to, I was going to say that at the start when you said there's, there's the, you know, there's the client and then there's the therapist, the coach, um, and then there's the, the workplace. Yes. Uh, that felt almost like a couples therapy kind of context, like where, yes. you know, the, you've got that sort of broader, yeah, you've, it, you know, relationship. Yes, um, yes. Although family, the family one is better because you it's, like it, better. it illustrates the complexity with the, mm. the couples. You sometimes do get that, but uh, very often there are multiple stakeholders. Yeah, siblings, etc. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Look, ch- chatting to you too, it was kind of interesting uh, because you work outside of the traditional, let's call it white coat, you know, traditional 50-minute approach. White you might coat. be inside organisations. You might be, uh, you know, working and uh, doing all sorts of things that are non-traditional in a way. You're not yes. constrained by, uh, let's say, Medicare or those no. kind of things. No, no. Um, you would you you know you discuss with me that you have this approach to like intensive like sessions that might cover a whole day or half a day, yes. um, in which you play schema into that. Could you say some things about that approach, like why you do it, you know, um, how how it's helped, what have been the challenges, those kind of things? Yeah. So I think the issue in in organisations is very often I'm dealing with someone who is really 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 important to the organisation, but who is also deeply flawed. So everybody wants fast change. And so the idea of working with them for, you know, one hour a week for a year is a complete anathema under those circumstances. And so what happened, and the second thing is that with a lot of very articulate people, they will fill up an hour with a download and you won't really have the opportunity to do too much unless you really want to interrupt them. So that's those two things uh, really came together with my very first client that I did extended work with. And so I just simply said to her, uh, look, why don't you uh, just come for the whole day? That'll give us the opportunity to really drill in, et cetera, et cetera. So the, uh, the, the process is really that... Um, I'm so thinking about schema. So I would see them two or three times. We'd decide that that uh, the the solution focus approach wasn't enough. We'd decide that we wanted to work on something. They would get agreement from the organisation to pay a much larger bill. Uh, then they'd come back. A and daily fee. Yeah, a daily fee. Then we'd start and we would um, just talk over how things were going, just a bit of kind of rapport building. And then we get into a kind of a diagnostic um, case conceptualization phase of really looking at the schema and what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And they, with the idea that they would really come to uh, the conclusion, yes, this is me, I'm suffering from unrelenting standards or whatever it is. Um, and that might take us a couple of hours. And then what I do to give myself and them a bit of a rest is we both go away and journal. So we might have a 20-minute journal break where and a cup of tea and we just go away and write and think and then we can come back after that and talk through, okay, consolidate things, other actions, et cetera. And then after that, we might get into some imagery rescripting work, which might take us a couple of hours and uh, then again, a bit more journaling, and then we might get into the schema flashcards, 
and then we might get into the behavioural stuff towards the end uh, and then uh, have a period of agreeing on the actions and reflecting on the day uh, towards the end. But the, the challenge of working in a whole day is really pacing yourself and giving yourself enough breaks, but not let's have half an hour off because they're impatient. So you've got to give them something constructive to do. So the journaling thing works really, really well. Yeah, some reflective time, some yeah. directed journaling sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you found that? What, what have I mean, anecdotally, and, and without mentioning anyone in particular, like what, what's been the result like of that? Because it's very experimental. Look, um, I don't think folks, many folks in the clinical stuff have tried this out. No. Uh, look, I'd just say it's remarkable, really, what you can achieve in those um, in those uh, situations because um, you really have the chance to peel the onion so you can get down layers and layers and layers and layers of stuff. Um, so I think it's I think it's a fantastic uh, option for coaching that can really make a, a huge difference. The only thing I'd say in terms of its limitations, is sometimes when you get into imagery rescripting, it's so powerful and so dramatic that it kind of saps the client's energy. Mm. And then things after that, you either want to just go over lightly or you might want to say, well, okay, we did have a whole day set aside, but well, I think we've probably reached the da-da-da-da-da. And a lot of so processing. That's that's so does that mean that you tend to think about doing the imagery if you're going to do it uh, later in the day? Like you don't want to sap that up front or? Uh, no, I tend to, I don't know why, but I tend to like to start with that because most people, if you're talking about schema, they want to think about the origins. Uh, where did this come from, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And that naturally leads to, uh, to, to those imagery type exercises. So, I've never, tr- I've never even thought about it. <laughs> fascinating talk to you guys. I've never <laughs> even thought about doing it later in the day. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. Unrelenting standards is, um, yeah, it's often a kind of a performance based schema. Yes. It's going to come up at work, or if it's not coming yes. up at work, it's rigidity in the home life and these sorts of things. And, and I can imagine it, it playing out a lot of the time at work and at working, it being yes. adaptive. Yes. You know, obviously, yes. people get to the top of the tree because they have high levels, high standards. And, you know, let's face it, many of the listeners that are taking the time to listen to the podcast often um, have that, that, you know, people that are trying yeah. to you know, improve and try to, to, to um, yeah, make best use of the time, which often is working and, and trying really hard. But I'd be interested to see if you had insights in terms of how to work with clients with unrelenting standards is often a factor that has been leading to success yeah. at the same time is kind of detrimental to their overall performance or at home or at work or yeah. leading to problems. Yes. So have you got any thoughts around yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating uh, kind of issue, Chris, because uh, what you see with some clients is that um, you know, they will be in a very senior job. They'll work very long hours. They will do Ironman. Uh, mm. They will do yoga. Oh, they'll belong totally. to a church. Ironman. You know, they'll be a dad, da-da-da-da-da-da. And you just kind of, with some of those people, you kind of scratch your head mm. uh, in terms of, well, what is it you want to work on? And with some of those people, what they want to work on is they want more accountability. Mm. because they Mm. want to be able to shuffle this around and that around. 
The issue for me is that very often those people are just successful full stop. Those people often don't suffer from unrelenting standards. Unrelenting standards is about working to the stage, working hard, having standards at a level that starts to seriously impact on others and on yourself. So if this person says, well, I bike ride 50 kilometers a day, uh, but I, and I'm a CEO and I'm as happy as Larry, well, you probably don't suffer from unrelenting standards, but you might want to work on X, Y, and Z. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever get someone that wants you to improve their unrelenting standards? Like, you know, um, make them even better at at their, you know, work performance or, you know, at their high standards? So what I'd say is that um, I have lots and lots of people who want to improve their performance, and that's a big slice of the client base. Unrelenting standards people have passed through that into the stage of distress, So they very often want to continue to work very hard but 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 to improve their emotional detachment. And that is possible for some of them. Obviously, there are real risks in here and, you know, you've got to weigh up things carefully. But the the sort of... um, uh, expansion and um, those the kind of uh, emotional distancing techniques in ACT, for example, can be really useful to some of those people. Yep. Is it hard selling them the idea that actually that the problem is they need to learn how to, to find the balance? Uh, no, because uh, that's not my job. I ask mm-hmm. you what the problem is, and if you don't have a problem, you don't need me. Mm-hmm. So you, it's, it's, it's again, you just have to have that leverage. You have to have the, it has to have uh, become dysfunctional to some degree. Yes, yes. And I guess the, uh, to kind of explore it a little bit more, sometimes, of course, it's more dysfunctional for the organization than it is mm. for the individual. Mm-hmm. And so then very often that's why um, executive coaching is about this bigger context, because mm. you might actually sit down with the boss and the client and myself so that the boss can clearly articulate, look, mate, if you carry on like this, you're never going to be promoted anymore. Mm. And in fact, you're in you're in danger of of being let go in the next round of of if we have a uh, you know redundancies. So Didn't, sometimes, yes, it's interesting what you were saying before about the you know the the, the you know, high powered executive that's working and cycling and this sort of stuff. And I guess. Sometimes maybe the system or the family or the work accommodating that behavior. Yes, and I guess there's a point where you just can't accommodate that behavior anymore. Yes, and and that would be the the central feature of you know the, the, that kind of conversation that you were mentioning. Where yes, you know, yeah. yes. So what we see in lawyers, for example, is the divorce rate in lawyers is very high, <laughs> and that's yeah. a classic example of where you can see those those kind of relenting, unrelenting standards just get to the point where the, the spouse is alienated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, Make, makes sense, makes sense. So it's, it's um, the unrelenting standards is a really, really interesting issue, but it's that, it's that cut-off point between is this functional or is this dysfunctional? And sometimes the standards are so high uh, that they're almost unbelievable, but they don't seem to be dysfunctional. And yep. sometimes they've spilled over and then there's all sorts of difficulties. Well, it's the thing, isn't it? Often, and we find that even clinically, um, the, the, 
this, there's an edge of functionality. Like it yes. works, it works here yes. and it works yes. there, but then it doesn't work as yeah. well. Well, that's the classic secondary gain problem, mm. isn't it? Mm. So what, what sort of problems do you, you find applying the model in the sort of organisational coaching setting? Do you have any thoughts around that? Any- uh, yeah, I think there's there's probably two areas of, uh, of problems. So there's one group of clients who come to me essentially saying, I am unhappy at work about X, Y, and Z. And those kinds of clients um, are... Uh, the work that you do is much more like schema therapy. So it's really just between you and the client and that the client has bought their distress to to work on. And then there's another group where that distress isn't personal. That distress is interpersonal and therefore it's having an impact at work and therefore um, the people are really starting to impact others and therefore the organization and, and they might have some distress themselves but the organization is kind of saying uh, look this is a problem so those are really at a very high level those are the two groups of people i get yeah do, i mean part of that do you ever get clients who are individuals who don't really want to change themselves but want to blame the context do you know what i mean um, in almost in you know yeah remain in, in almost like in, in, a, in a victim uh, stance? Yeah, so you get um, you get both the... Uh, so first of all, I don't get many of those clients because yeah. they don't need to change at someone else's fault. Uh, so, <laughs> so again, I, I don't... But I have had a few people, both the victim as well as the, the bully attack. Uh, uh-huh. And I think the important thing for those people in both cases is to be able to establish that relationship with them. So that idea of kind of limited reparenting with those people is so important. So there's no point in giving them advice. There's no point in doing cognitive behaviour therapy, et cetera, et cetera. Anything like that is going to be a complete anathema. You really have to understand uh, that relate. You really have to understand the person's world before they are ready to listen to something that might be about movement and change yeah i was going to ask you this as well i mean um do you see this this is off, off sort of um sort of well off the uh, the the pre-discussed questions um i was just interested in terms of work culture and schema kind of uh atmospheres do, do you does that make sense like yeah you know, sometimes you have got a work culture a particular work environment that has you know becomes becomes fairly toxic and septic. Is there a role where you could start using schema therapy or schema ideas within that in terms of actual cultural change of organisation? So, uh, so absolutely you could. Yes, it's not something that I've done um, an awful lot of uh, because again, most highly competitive or highly noxious um, workplaces that that uh, culture is set by the the person at the top. And so they have very good reason to want to maintain it. So Mm. you would need to typically Mm. have a CEO. uh, And I have had people like this. I had a very interesting client who basically came to me when he was close to retirement and basically said, when I look back on my career, I've been hugely successful, but there are a lot of dead bodies around and I really regret that. (laughs) 
it's a good, it's a uh, good insight. Yeah. So he was someone who really wanted to change, mm. and he wanted to change the the culture of his organisation. Interestingly enough, of course, he was quite close to retirement. So I don't know that he actually <laughs> He's on the way out. Easy to say yeah. at the end, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We need to change this culture. Exactly. Yeah. This yeah. toxic culture. Yeah. 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 Well done. And I mean, just to start to edge towards wrapping up, I mean, where where does this go? Like, what do you see for the future of um, in, within a coaching executive coaching context for schema? Do you know? Do you see a future for it there? Yeah, so I think the I think that um, the issue really is we've got this enormous wave of um, you know mental distress in a thousand different forms all over society. You know, COVID is exaggerated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, traditionally, business has been well, just toughen up and take a concrete pill, and you'll be all right. Mm. But of course, that's now starting to change and. Uh, there's a lot more going into psychosocial risk assessment at an organizational level, and that's really forcing people to forcing organizations to grapple with the reality of, of individual and group distress. So I see there's a huge opportunity to assist people at that level. And the thing that I feel about the value of using schema in an executive coaching context is the people that I'm working with very often have thousands of people underneath them mm. in the organization. So that person's attitude and that person's approach makes a fundamental difference to hundreds, if not thousands of other people. So I think the future is very bright. Uh, and I think things like social, psych, psychosocial risk assessment will just drive it uh, enormously. Yeah, well done. And it makes sense. It relates back to that kind of cultural change as well. And I've, yes. I've always thought to myself as well, when you think of human resources, you know, you, you're thinking of people as being a, you know, I'm not, I'm not from that background, but obviously yes. a person is a resource. It's a, it's like, yes. you know, just as important as any other component yes. of yes. a system of a, of a workplace. And if you look after that and yes. help that as much as you can, it's, it's, it's a, it's a worth worthwhile thing and it's a resource to the organization. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of work being done in terms of what actually motivates people at work. And at a very high level, mm. what we know is that finding purpose is enormously important and so you can see how that really drives a, a sense of caring, a sense of wanting to help people address their kind of issues. So, you know, from my point of view, the, uh, the future is uh, extremely bright. What's that? Um, there's a show that, um, that I was watching last year, one of these sort of, sh you know, shows where that there's, a, there's an executive coach on the team. It's, it's okay. a famous one. Have you guys seen that one? No, I haven't. It Which sounds one? fascinating. Uh, I remember seeing the one with um, the Metallica. I don't know. Yeah, if you yeah, 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 yeah. The, the guy, they, all, they go after Metallica. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Metallica in, employ executive coach to do group therapy a, to uh, keep together. There's a show with this. Uh, it yeah. eludes me right now. It, um, Some kind of uh, monster, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, it just points to this, maybe this future where you can see, you know, you've gone all the way from like, you know, being in clinical settings, Fire Antarctica, to then uh, you know working in in organisations. I mean, do you see that in the future that that you know therapists, psychologists will make a transition like that and and be more embedded into teams and into organisations? 
So I think it's very, I think the path that I've taken is very unusual and I don't see many people being able to follow that path. For example, you know, a lot of clinical psychologists do a a D-fill anyway. So they're, they're, Mm. uh, so I think the, but what I do see is there's been a big growth in organizational psychologists. And so they have that organizational context and then they can learn other techniques in terms of coaching. So I see that that movement is probably uh, because they ha- they understand business, that is uh, a movement that's definitely afoot. I mean, there will always be clinical people who come out uh, and move into business, but I think there'll be organisational psychologists who get more into these more advanced forms of, uh, of coaching. So, Ian, this has been fantastic. Having a, having <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so have I. Um, and hopefully uh, listeners have taken, um, you know, something from it. So I think it's interesting. Often often we, you know, people, you know, we're working with people. Well, yeah, our listenership often is you know, working uh, with, yeah, with, with clients that have a work context. Yes. And dip into that a little bit. But for it to be, you know, um, very much focused on on uh, high-performance work settings, it's um, particularly interesting. So yes. thanks for yeah. your time today. Thanks so much, um, Ian, for coming on, mate. Lovely to see pleasure. you again and, and share your experience with the listeners and it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's an absolute delight for me. Lovely to, to to spend some time with both of you. And we'll post um I know you've been generous to share a lot of resources and things. We'll uh, post that stuff up for the listeners and um and share share what you've shared with us. So yeah, I also I've got a series of um free videos on uh schema coaching. So I'll send you the links to those too. Perfect. Can, uh, yeah, we'll embed them into a into our site and um so yeah. folks can can listen to the podcast and check out all yeah. those resources. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So, so until next time on uh what's the schemata, uh we'll see you soon. Thanks see you soon, guys. See you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.